Hello, everyone. Really, really sweet to see you. It's great to be back. It really is, genuinely. It's, you know, I was explaining to my friends, because I was dedicated to not surf the entire time I was there, which, because I didn't want to do something that I knew I would really, really miss coming back here like that. And, uh, and I felt like a brand new vegan staring at like a Brazilian barbecue, because I went to four of the best surf spots in all of California, and I just watched with longing. Anyways, um, put 3,600 miles on a rented Jeep in two and a half weeks. Went and saw a lot of people, but it is great to be back. And here I am wanting to go jump right back into the Gospel of John where we normally are, and yet today we're not. Uh, in my face, and please understand, I, I do this. I, I spend time on my face and say, all right, Lord, just, I mean, I know this is kind of the program, this is what we're normally used to, but is that what we're supposed to do today? And, and the Lord's like, nope, here's where I want you. So we're in the Gospel of Mark. Now, hopefully all of you have this handout. And if you don't have a handout, there's some right here on the seat, for instance, I see. I want to make sure that you all do have them. Are there others here that Anne, I know, would love to give out to you? Because she's like that and she's standing at this moment. So uh, here, Anne, in case there's others that you need there. Thank you. <clears throat> and, and, and really, I want you to recognize that as I get older, and notice I don't say old, but as I get older, uh, I kind of realize that things get simpler, and the more complicated things get, the more that man seems to be involved, and the less God is in the mix. And the more that God's involved, man, it just gets simple. And I, and I want to show you something from the Gospel of Mark, but please understand, there is nothing that I want you shown that I don't need to see myself. So we're in Mark chapter 1, and we pick it up in verse 16. Read along with me if you would, please, and go ahead and find it if you're, you know, in your Bibles or your apps or whatever the case. You know, some people, it's like, man, this is such a great thing to have, like an iPad or a phone or whatever where you can go to your Bible, because remember those days, some of you, where we had to flip through our Bibles and like, where's Ezekiel? You know, that kind of thing. And now we just go, it was, there we are. Well, anyways, Mark 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 16, it says this. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw John, uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in a boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and, he went, af- and went after him. Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one having authority. And don't miss that word authority there. And not as the scribes. Verse 23. Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority, and there's that same word again, it's exousia, by the way, in the Greek. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Verse 29. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. That evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. He did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now notice after that, I have the end of the book. We started at the beginning of the book of of Mark, chapter 1. And now we're at the last chapter, chapter 16. And it says this in Mark, chapter 16, verse 15. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Now, will you pray with me, please? Lord, in this, you have a time set aside now where we are going to be in your word here, and we are expecting to be taught and instructed and challenged and exhorted and equipped. All the things you promise your word to do. And Lord, I can't, 
I just am astounded how many times someone has said to me over the last three weeks, isn't that a hard place? And yet, God, you tell us that your word is the hammer that breaks the rocks into pieces. And as we open your word, break the rock in our own hearts into pieces and have free reign, Lord, over all of us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be able to be drawn into the text and captivated, color in the black and white, Lord, and may we have so much fun in the text. May we get it. May we get it like we should. So, Lord, I pray you redeem every second now. And we commit this time and ourselves to you. Lord, bless it, I pray. Jesus, in your name. Amen. I would say today is I win any. Please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible be your authority. Now, look back again at verse 16. This is all setting up context. But by the way, it tells us as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Hey! Now, unique to the Gospel of Mark is this term, become. And I don't want you to miss this, because here's the point. As unique to the Gospel of Mark is this issue of, we know from the other texts, for instance, that Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Unique to the Gospel of Mark, I will make you become fishers of men because what Mark wants to show us is the process. Then becoming a fisher of men, which ultimately we'll see that call in chapter 16. Don't miss the fact that what Jesus is doing here is, is he's showing what it looks like to become a fisher of men. In essence, what Jesus do, is doing is he's recruiting disciples. And all a disciple is, the Greek word is all a disciple is, is a student. And Jesus is recruiting students into the school of ministry. Jesus' school of ministry. Now, understand, discipleship was very, very different from the way we kind of conceptualize it today, which is the idea someone sort of sits down and just reads a book with you. When you actually did a discipleship with another individual, it was much more like an apprenticeship program. You actually came and you lived with them. You walked with them. You ate with them. You woke up with them. Now, that sounds really weird in our culture, but understand, one thing that they got right we could miss is that so much of, of what we teach people about Christianity is it's about a relationship. Now, we get that. We even say, I'm not religious. I just have a relationship. Uh, you know, and and we, we talk like that. Here's the problem is that there is nothing in a relationship we can just simply teach from a pulpit. We can teach doctrine, but that's as far as we can go. Because the problem is, is that when it comes to a relationship, we have to see it modeled. Even if we teach it as a doctrinal concept, the definition of those things are borne out in the way we see it lived out. For instance, we know scripturally that the idea of agape love, that term that we read in regards to for God so loved the world, is this selfless, completely surrendered, giving over love. In other words, you give your life to give life. And yet, when we conceptualize that in practice, well, love is a different thing. Love is more of kind of a push-me-pull-you thing now. Because, you know, we call you and we're like, I love you. And what you're saying is, please say it back, right? We're fishing for that. We know that. It isn't saying, I'm totally selfless and giving my total life for you. And you're expecting them to go, oh yeah, I'm totally selfless, giving my life back to you. Because if they were like, no, well then you'd be like, well, then I guess I am being selfless. You know? and, and the reason I say that is, is that if we don't demonstrate things, the best we can become is really irritating arguers. Because that's what we can do with doctrine outside of it. We can say, oh, I've got my ducks in a row and I understand it all. But really, when it comes to this walk with Jesus Christ, Jesus didn't just say, hey, school starts at 8, show up, and I'll bring my scrolls. Notice, by the way, as this begins, the focus is on how we become fishers of men, the process, and Jesus has a part, and we have a part. His part in verse 17 starts with, say, our part is follow. Did you notice that's what he says? Just follow. Now, are there, is there anyone in this room that doesn't get what it means to follow someone? That's the problem. Already, see, we could, we, I don't know about reading scripture, it's so complicated. What part of that's complicated? 
What I get out of the idea of that is, is that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to memorize the back of his head. And I have to be behind it. I have to be in a place where I can see it. I can't run in front of him and tell you that I'm following him. I can't tell you, hey, go left when he wants to go right, because then I'm not following him. If I'm going to follow him, I don't even have to know where I'm going, as long as he does. If I'm following him, I don't have to have all the directions or the destination or any of that. The one thing I need to know is where he is and to make sure that I'm behind him. That's the fun part, but the dangerous part about following someone. Now, I've got two daughters, and both of them, by the way, are very independent. And they're independent enough that they can tell you that they're following me, but they could be miles ahead of me. But you can't follow me from all the way up there. We do that every trip we take to Israel. There's always going to be at least one, we call them butterfly chasers. You know the person that's like, oh, wow, there's this really cool thing. Oh, and this completely insignificant, oh, a cat. Let's go find the cat. And it's like you're looking and you're trying to get everyone back on the bus and there's little Miss so-and-so or whatever still petting a cat somewhere behind a curtain or a wall or something. And the reason I say that is, is that when it comes to sort of everyone kind of traveling as a group, inevitably they're the one person that wanders off and we often kind of hide the group for a moment and then turn around and realize they're by themselves. Freaks them out enough that usually that corrects the problem. Usually. And I realize the Lord will often do that with us as well. We say that we're following him and at those moments we're like, wait a minute, I don't really sense your presence. And I mean, he's still clearly there, but you kind of get that place where you're like, are you there? God's like, well, you're not following me now. He was like, here's your part, follow me. Here's his part. I, my part's to follow, his part's to fashion. I'll fashion you into a fisher of men. My job is to make you the thing that is the most awesome you. I've got a plan. I know how to get there. You're just going to need to follow me to get there. So when you're following Jesus and when someone asks you a bunch of questions, isn't it awesome to be able to say you don't know because you genuinely don't know? Well, inevitably, somebody's going to think either you're not taking it seriously or you're being completely irresponsible or both. But it is amazing what it's like when you're actually following the Lord to realize it is the most responsible thing you can do. So Jesus looks and he's not, and I remind you, these guys are not brilliant men from what we can tell. It isn't like they're the most brilliant men on the planet or they're the most gifted or the socially whatever, or the most rich men. They're just ordinary guys that know how to get their hands dirty. They know what it's like to smell things and probably themselves as well. And, and Jesus looks and he's like, it's a simple command. Hey, I'm not asking you to be brilliant. I'm not asking you to be completely educated. You could be whatever you want in regards to coming from, but hey, can you follow me? Can you do that? Because if you can do that, I can do the rest. But if you're not going to follow me, then I'm not going to fashion you because you're actually going to be a loose cannon and that's actually a dangerous thing. So can we start there? So we start. All right, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. And if I'm going to follow you, then I'm going to enter into this school of discipleship with Jesus. Jesus goes, come on, let's go. Can you imagine that's how this whole thing starts? He didn't just say, agree with me. Here, take this. This is a get out of hell free card. And we're going to be good now. Wait for me in heaven. It's like, look at if we're going to call ourselves Christian, which you're aware means Christ-like, then we, we need to follow. Now, as we follow, our life of discipleship begins with Jesus. And I'm watching these guys now as we go from there. Now, he calls these four guys. He's like, look at follow me. And they go, okay, I'm going to follow you. Where's the first place he takes us? Notice what it says. So I follow Jesus, and the first place he takes me is the church. Isn't that strange? Well, synagogue according to this, but it would be the idea of verses 21 to 28. And notice, he went into Capernaum, which means village of comfort. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered into the synagogue and he taught. Now, imagine, we don't know where we're going. We don't know what the situation is. And Jesus is like, come on, we're going to synagogue. Okay, of course, of course we go to church. That's the way it works. And we, gotta, we get in there and Jesus begins to teach. The first thing we notice is that everybody's blown away because he teaches with authority, exousia. He actually has a command over scripture. And I realize if I am going to be like my teacher, because Jesus tells us a student becomes like his teacher, then I recognize scripture is a fundamental part of that. Not just cool slogans, 
By the way, it doesn't say anywhere Jesus taught them a couple really cool worship songs or they learned at this point how to run and do laps and to you know, slap each other in the spirit. What I do realize is that Jesus stood up and said, I'm like, man, I'm like, I want to be like this guy and this guy stands up and it's the scripture. It's not just quoting other people. That's what the scribes did and lost their authority doing it. It's like he opened up the Bible and he taught from it and what we got out of it was the Bible and somebody that actually knew what it was like to actually live in it for a moment. I'm like, wow, that's awesome, that's radical. And then this guy freaks out. And I also learned, wow, just because it's church doesn't mean it's safe. Doesn't mean that everybody actually here is going to be okay. There's a guy possessed at church, that's a little rough. And he freaks out, again, loose paraphrase, in all of this, he's like, you know, what do you have to do with us? Are you coming to destroy us? And Jesus is like, you know, shut up and get out. And he does, and we all watch him go, okay, I've never been at a church like this one. And they go, wow, what kind of, interesting. They don't just go, who is this teacher? They're like, what kind of doctrine is this? That this guy has authority not, over, not just over Scripture, but even over the spiritual world. And here I am going, wow, I'm a student. And I want to learn to become like him. And the first thing I recognize is if I'm going to grow more like him, I'm going to, Scripture is going to be fundamental, but also the spiritual world is no threat to me anymore. Now, the reason I think most people are freaked out by the spiritual world is because of Hollywood. We can thank Hollywood for that. Because I think they've done a really good job of building, you know, most people to get their idea about what it means to, like, to be possessed is from that movie The Exorcist, let's be honest. You know what, I found this interesting because I actually did a, I did a lot of studying on, some, um, on all kinds of different uh, percentages and sort of um, censuses and so forth that were taken about London. And one of the things I found was interesting is that according to YouGov's 2016 survey of the general populace of London, only 20% of the people living in London genuinely believe that there is a possibility of life after death. Let me say that again. Only 20% of the people living in London conceive the possibility of life after death. Well, let's go beyond that. However, 33% of the people believe in the possibility of aliens. But my favorite is 37% of the people believe in the possibility of ghosts. Now, I'm a dot connector. Now, think this through for a second. 20% of the people believe there could be life after death, but 37% of the people believe in ghosts. Where do the other 17% think the ghosts come from? That's just a weird thought. Well, and again, back in our text here, here's our first thing. And let me just say, we graduate four levels in our school of Jesus' ministry. And our first level, and again, you have that you can fill in to kind of help, is simply, you ready? It's not a hard one, observation. Isn't that what we're doing here? Jesus didn't go, okay, come on. All right, you're going to hand out this, you're going to do that, and you're going to set this up. That's not how it started. Jesus went, come on, and just watch. We showed up in synagogue. What did the guys do in, in the synagogue? The disciples. They watched. They observed. And what did they watch Jesus do? They watched him have authority in Scripture, and then they watched him have authority spiritually. And you realize, that's where we start this. Can I say, if we are to become fishers of men, and I genuinely believe God wants every one of us to be that, the thing that normally freaks us out the most is we go from, all right, I'm a Christian, how do I do that? And then not realize it's a process. So what if it started with that? It starts with us just observing through Scripture what it really means to follow Jesus. And I'm all right, Jesus, let me learn. In the simplest sense, I see what Jesus does, and I see how he does it. And I realize that this observation, this observing Jesus took place in church. I thought that was an interesting thing. So our level one was observation. How's that? Do you guys think you can do that? If you can follow Jesus, can you start with that? Level one, I'm in, I'm in, you know, in American school, we have four levels in our, what we call our secondary school, we call high school. There's freshmen, sophomore, juniors, and seniors. So might I say this is freshman year here. You're running in at year one, and in year one, school's observing. Now, they only get it for a couple days, but then they're walking with Jesus, and he's perfect. But might I say, can you get there first? If you're going to choose to follow Jesus, I'm going to go to this issue of observing. Now, what do I learn from this observing? I also learn this, that no one is too far gone spiritually. 
I would have thought, wow, man, that guy's just way too gone. Now, we live here, and any of you who actually even walk through Camden, you kind of know. There are some people out there, they are really crazy. There are some people, I mean, there are places where you're like, well, I don't know if I've actually seen anyone probably possessed. And then in Camden, you're like, well, that's a pretty good possibility. I probably did. But I could look at a person that just seems like hell itself is pouring out of every pore and orifice on him, and I can look and still go, you are no threat to me, and you are not too far gone for Jesus to save. I learned that by following him and observing him. Y'all with me so far? Okay. Thank you for the two that nodded. Prayerfully, the rest of you actually agree. So let's go from there. What happens then? Our first level. Let me ask you. Our first level in the school of ministry of Jesus, what is it? What's the first level? Yeah, thanks. Give it to me one more time. What's that first level? Nice. We got there. Okay, it's a good place to start. Verse, now, let's, let's graduate and move to the next. Now, as soon as they'd come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew and James and John, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. Now, I think this speaks really well for Simon Peter, because there's a lot of guys that when their mother-in-law is sick, they'd just rather them be sick. But I don't see that with Simon Peter, which I think is actually a pretty cool thing. Now, According to this, this is the first time now that one of Jesus' students is getting involved in something. Let's be honest. This is the first time they've done anything other than observe. Would you agree? According to our text. Jesus said, follow me. They followed him. And after they followed him, at this point, they just observed him in church. Now they take Jesus home. Notice the first place they went was fellowship, but the second place they went was home. And as they went home, what did... Okay, first of all, quick quiz here. You tell me, who was the person who acted up here? Who was the person who did anything? What does it say in the text? Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they. Who's the they? Who do you think? Yeah, it's the disciples. The they is Simon and his brother Andrew, maybe James and John, because the four of them we see as a group here. Somewhere down the line, one of them had to tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Did you notice they never told Jesus what to do? All they did was tell Jesus about her. Did you notice that? So let me ask you something. If that were you, what would we call it today if we were just telling Jesus about another person? What would we call that? Praying for him. I might go with a fancy term, and the fancy term is intercession. To intercede over someone means you're literally just praying for another individual versus, God, give me stuff. But in this case, it's like, you know, Lord, I'm going to pray. I want to pray for Abraham. I know the situation's going on in regards to where he's working and all that. We've been praying. We've been interceding for Abraham. That's our second level. Welcome to graduation. You've left a freshman. You've become a sophomore. What was that first level? Observation. What's the second level? Intercession. Now, the whole idea of intercession in the simplest sense, think about it, is sit with Jesus and tell him about him. I think it's a pretty simple thing. Now, here's the thing. Please hear me. Nothing is more important to God than your relationship with him. And nothing is more important to God than somebody else's relationship with him. So my natural tendency is to try to tell God how he needs to react in a situation. For instance, I would say, like, well, Dennis has the flu. God just delivered Dennis. No, that's not prophecy, by the way. Thank the Lord. You know, God delivered Dennis from the flu. But what if God is using that flu to draw Dennis closer to him? Now, Dennis would rather the flu be gone. Fanny, I'm sure, would like the flu to be gone as well. She'd be very fearful to not get it herself, nonetheless, their son. But I know that God's big working, what he's doing more than anything, is drawing Dennis closer to him and everybody else around him through it. And the reason I say that is it's so much more relieving for me to say, Lord, there is clearly a need in Dennis's life right now. And I'd like to lift them up to you. Open my eyes to how you want to use this. Do you see the difference? Do you remember when Mary, is at the, his, Jesus' mother, is at this wedding and they run out of wine? Do you remember what Mary just says to him? They have no wine. She didn't say, you know, a real nice Chablis would go really lovely with this falafel. 
She's like, here's the situation. That's all I need to do is tell you. Now, do you think Jesus didn't know the situation? I mean, do you think when you're interceding, God doesn't know the situation? So why in the world are we telling him? So that our eyes can be open to how God wants to work in it. But there's another part of it. See, I've learned this a long time ago in ministry. It is so much easier to serve and minister to someone you've been praying for. But imagine, what was our first level? Observation. We went from observing how Jesus works. And somewhere what I learned, one of the first things I learned about Jesus is people were the thing, not stuff. I mean, you realize Jesus was homeless. You realize that Jesus didn't bank on a lot of bankroll. He walked around with a bunch of guys. Who knows when they showered or bathed? Clearly before they entered the temple because that was required. And we watched them and you realize everything Jesus did was driven for people. And I realized as I start to follow Jesus, I start realizing, you know, you're more important. And I just came back from the States and I'll be honest, one of the things I watched, in some cases in encouragement, in some cases with great alarm, was how things can become institutions in such a way that people become more consequential, they become more inconsequential than they are concerted. I remember I sat at the church we planted 25 years ago next year. And I sat with a group of people, some who drove as far away as Italy is from here. And said, I remember taking pictures of every service to pray for every face because I knew I wouldn't meet most of the people. Some of those people remember those days. Because people are always the thing. You're always the thing. Church, if it isn't about people, what is it? It's a business? Is that what we really want? But as people become the thing, then I become more aware of people's things, their issues. And all of a sudden I realized I start praying for people and I can't help it. Now, look at the back of that page that you were given, by the way. Do you see where it says intercession 10? See that? Because wouldn't it be just silly for me to kind of pop this out like this and not actually challenge you to put it into practice? I assume if you've been coming here for any period of time, you've been observing. So I'm going to do this, first of all. I want to challenge you right now, on the, on the count of go, I want to challenge you to at least write down the first three names that come to your head. doesn't matter who they are. Ready? Steady? Go. Three names. Just write them down as quick as you can. If you get more than that, that's cool. It's not like extra credit or anything, but you can get what the challenge is. How cool is that? I don't know if this is the first time you've ever done anything like this. But I think it's pretty awesome that we're learning how to become fishers of men. Our first level, we observe. Observation. Our second level, intercession. And I want to challenge you now. Don't go to sleep tonight without putting ten names down. Is that fair enough? I'll do the same, by the way. I can look around here and I can you know, say, well, I can draw ten right from here. You know. I mean, here's the cool part. I pray for you guys anyways. Uh, okay. Some of you I'm, I'm, are new. So you're new to the, to me praying for you. But I love praying for you guys. I love it. And lately, I've gotten an awful lot of time because jet lag has afforded me a tremendous amount of prayer time. I didn't get to sleep till 5 a.m. this morning. So you can imagine, that was a lot of prayer time. Now, are you with me so far? Good. Okay, you guys are overwhelming me. Here we go. What was the first level of the school of Jesus' discipleship? What was the first level? Observation. Yeah, we're observation, okay? And we grow from observation. By the way, you can't get to the second without the first. You, you graduate from one to the next. So we go from observation, which we don't leave behind, and we graduate to the next level, which is intercession. Now we're at this point of intercession. Now, we got, now I'm praying for people. Now it's God. Okay, God. And I know this. I know everything's about saving people. So I can genuinely say, God, save this person and use this person and use me to do it, please, as well. It's like we sang. Now, 
Notice in verse 30, it says, Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever. They and the they again was the four of them, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, told them about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. Who's the them in verse 31? Peter, James, John, and Andrew, right? I mean, because the, there's this thing, and it's important to recognize, there's a Greek grammar law, forgive me for getting grammatical, called the marriage of consistent antecedent. And what that means is, if there was a they in the last verse, or in the last sentence, unless there's a new subject, the they's going to be in the next, is going to be the same in the next verse. Does that make sense? Now, let's face it, when somebody doesn't do that, they are so confusing. If I was just like, you know, there was a Lois and Julie, they were outside and they were dancing in the street. And they were crazy with it. And the cars were all over the place. But there they were in the street dancing. And then they went and bought this car. And you'd be like, well, the day was Julie and, and Lois. No, 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 that was another day. You're like, well, man, what other day? There has to be this consistency or you kind of lose track. Does that make sense? Well, it's a simple thing. Here's the fun part. Look at verse 32. The next verse. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him. Who's the they? Peter, James, John, and Andrew. That's the part I don't want you to miss. Now, get, get, so here's the thing. Now, understand, as they're interceding, they're still observing. So they're like, all right, Jesus, my uh, mother-in-law is sick with a fever. Luke, by the way, I, for what it's worth, remember, mind you, Luke's a doctor, and he tells that same story, and he adds a couple details. But for what it's worth, in Luke 4.38, he actually says, she was racked with a fever. Literally, she had a mega fever. Now, you're probably aware, 2,000 years ago, you know what a fever is, right, in general? That means there's an infection in your body that your body is really concertedly giving attention to. 2,000 years ago, a real serious fever meant you were on the throes of death. Because there were not the same things we have today. Today, when somebody has a fever, what in essence it does is if it doesn't come down, your body is saying it's calling in for outside help, if we're going to be honest. It's calling in for someone like Lois or someone else to, or, you know, or Agnes or someone to jump in and go, hey, we need something in here that's going to fight this because we're not winning. And the reason I say that is, is that Peter's mom was at the throes of death when Jesus healed her. Now, notice there was no big to-do. There was no too big to do with the possessed guy. And there was no big to do with the woman who was just about to die. It wasn't like Jesus was like, get me some relics and some holy water and I need some Latin. You know, he didn't do any of these. Like, just shut up and get out. And that was it. And now I look and I realize that that guy was about as spiritually gone as anyone could be. And this girl was about as physically gone as she could be. And I'm still learning. I remind you, we're disciples, so we're students. So I'm like, Jesus, mom is sick. So what happens? Jesus goes, no worries. So he goes, he grabs her by the hand. Honey, you're going to need to get up. Company's coming. Well, who's coming? The entire city. You're going to need to be well. Now, with that in mind, I get this understanding. Remember, it was no one's too far gone spiritually because there's a possessed guy. And no one's too far gone physically because Jesus could heal them too. See what we're learning here as we're interceding? And here's the fun part about it. The two things that I've watched is someone possessed and somebody really sick. Would you agree with me? Don't miss what happens next. Because when they learn from this, they build on it. In verse 32, at the evening when the sun had set, they brought to him all, notice what it says, all who were what? Sick and those who were demon possessed. Why those groups? Because they'd already watched Jesus take care of groups like that, people like that. So they're like, well, clearly, you're no problem. And the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, cast out many demons. Notice, in other words, he took care of both. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Luke, in his countertext in Luke 4.40, says, When the sun was setting, all those who had any, any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and they laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Don't miss that. Jesus didn't, I mean, let's face it, if you were God, wouldn't you be more pragmatic? And you'd be like, all right, everyone... Healed. And then they all were just better. Jesus wasn't getting away with that. You were not going to do that there. Jesus went and he made sure every person got touched by him. Nobody got preferential treatment. Everybody was going to be able to say, Jesus personally touched me. But the thing started with a group of guys. And this is what happened. They went and said, wow, I don't have to understand you. I know this. If I could get you to Jesus, he could fix you. That was ministry, you guys. 
It wasn't like, gosh, I've never been raped. Forgive me. And I'm trying to be cruel. I'm trying to be honest. Well, then I can't possibly minister to someone like that. Yeah, you could. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, it tells us that if you've received comfort from the God of all comfort, you will be capable then of issuing comfort to another person who needs that comfort because you're not the comforter, you're just the conduit. You're like, hey, look, at, I don't have to understand your situation and I know it must be horrible, but I want you to know, I know where comfort can be found because I found that comfort. And he's a, and by the way, he's an all-purpose comforter. So no matter what the situation is, Now, again, I'm not trying to be cruel or crude. I'm just trying to say, don't disqualify yourself because you've never experienced something to think you can't bring comfort to someone. I remind you, you're the vehicle. So, we went from observing Jesus to interceding. Well, what's our third level? Our third level is, you ready for this? Invitation. That's it. Bring them to where Jesus clearly is. That's the way it works. You look at it like, well, I don't know if I could actually lead someone to Christ. Well, then don't worry about that. You're still in school. You're only third year or four years. Or four years. Invite them to somewhere where you know they will hear about the truth about Jesus. Now, that sounds dangerous in this context because you know that sounds like I'm actually challenging you to invite people to church. Well, guess what? I am. But not because I'm trying to build a church but because I want the people that you've been praying for to get saved. And one thing you can expect here is the gospel is going to be preached and people will be given the, the dignity of choice. And if you know that's going to happen, then you know. I remember watching people, you know, back where we came from, people were just like, well, if it's going to happen every week, I might as well just invite them. And you're like, well, what if they say no? They're already not coming. What are you losing? But you're like, you know what? You've got a problem. Perfect. Perfect. Usually when the world looks and says you've got a problem or you're in need, they go, okay, well, we'll talk once you're normal. But you know, let's face it, Christians, we're the ones that are like, oh, man, if I can get you to where Jesus is, this isn't going to be a problem at all. I know we can handle you. So we go from observation to intercession, and from intercession we go to invitation. But please hear me, that's level three because you already had two levels. It's a lot easier to invite someone you've been praying for. Does that make sense? Because what happens is as I'm praying for someone, I realize that the Lord puts them heavier on my heart. And then he says, I want you to do something with that. Jesus said in John 10, by the way, he goes, look at they are in Matthew 10. He says that the fields are white for harvest. Pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out harvesters. And the guys are like, okay, let's pray. Lord, send harvesters. And Jesus goes, now go. And they're like, what do you mean go? He's like, you were praying for the, someone to be sent out to the harvest. Why do you think you were praying? Because you were volunteering. You were showing up when the bugle blew. So you're like, oh God, save my mom. And God goes, okay, well, I'm going to send her over. Go share. You're like, I didn't mean me. God says, well, you were praying for a reason. And I go from observing Jesus to realizing people are the thing. So I start doing it. Then I start seeing that and I start praying for people. And as I'm praying for people, then the Lord goes, well, not just invite them. Invite them to a place where you know I'm going to be glorified, where you know that they would have the freedom to say yes to me. They know that would be that choice. Y'all with me so far? So let's go to the end of the book and see how it ends. In Mark chapter 16, verse 14, Jesus sat with the eleven at the table. He rebuked their hardest of heart. They didn't believe they'd seen any unless they could see that he had risen. They didn't believe those who said they saw him. But then Jesus says, now go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then, of course, he goes from that to... These are the things that will follow. Don't miss the word follow because people really want like all of these signs, you know, these you know, demons being cast out, people speaking in new tongues, you know, uh, snakes biting you and you don't die from it, you know, drinking poison and it isn't going to kill you. I'm, I'm all cool with that stuff. But understand Jesus is like, you are responsible now for the message. I'm responsible for the miracles that will back it up. And I realize... The, the church often really wants all the miracles, but it isn't interested in actually giving the message. They're actually looking to validate themselves instead of validating the truth of the gospel. He goes, the reason these things happen is because people need to realize the gospel really is the truth, and these things are just going to show that. But please understand, we kind of look and go, now that I'm saved, I think I need to go out and just share Jesus. Look, at if the Lord compels you to do it, you go do it. But, let me just make it clear, that was level four. 
We started by observing Jesus. And as we observed Jesus, we started getting a heart for people. So we started interceding. We started praying for people. And as we started praying for people, we invited them. And as we invited them sooner or later, let me say it this way. Level three, we invited people to come to Jesus. And then, in essence, we tried to bring people to Jesus. And then in level four, we tried to try to bring Jesus to them. And now all of a sudden, you're the one sitting down with somebody sharing Jesus with them and going, would you like to receive this gift? Now, understand, you watched that happen first, and then you prayed for them, and then you were brought, you brought them to a place where you saw that happen, and then you went and did it yourself. But here's the crazy part. It, you know, don't you hate it when it's like, now you have this job? And you're like, all right, what's the job? You're like, well, Dighton, here's what you have to do. And you're like, but I haven't seen it done. And you're like, well, just go do it. Doesn't that just drive you crazy? God's not actually actually asking you to do that. What he's actually asking you to do is watch it and take it a step at a time. Develop a heart for these people because if you don't develop a heart for them and you evangelize, you're doing it so that you can put another notch in your Bible. And people know that. Nobody likes to feel used like that. But when you're praying for them, you develop a genuine care for them. And they're like, you know, people that are lost will be like, you know what? Yeah, they're all about that Jesus thing, but it's clear they care. And you know what? Once people realize you care, they're actually willing to listen. So, let me walk you through this quick gospel thing, and we're going to pray. That's it for the day. But I want you to but please hear me in this. He goes on and he says, you know, go preach the gospel. Well, what in the world is that? Because if you don't know the gospel, how do you know someone's going to get saved? How do you know you are? Because Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of salvation for any who would believe. So let me equip you with that. So you know, and it's four quick things as well, but this time you're just going to repeat and we're going to go back and forth for a minute so that you're challenged so that no matter what level you're at, my challenge is to follow Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, walk up these steps together. Is that fair enough? So hear me on this. You ready? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, I give to you that which I first received. I love that, by the way. Paul, in other words, he's not going to actually serve you a meal he hasn't tasted. You know, you ever heard, never trust a skinny cook? You go to Italy and the guy's shaped like a meatball and you're like, that guy probably has great meatballs because it's clear he likes them. But it's amazing how many times someone can actually give you advice they're not actually willing to take themselves. It's amazing. I've been to two things that were actually kind of marriage-oriented conferences. And I'll tell you, the first one, both of them was kind of the same thing. Uh, The first one, the guy stood up in, in his first five minutes as he's introducing himself. He's like, I just want you to know, my wife and I have been in a fight, and uh, I haven't, we haven't spoken in three days. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm like, I'm sure what he has to say will probably be true, but I couldn't listen. It was my problem. I'm like, and I actually went to the guys who were putting this Christian thing together, and I said, I have this really crazy idea, guys. Forgive me for this. And again, here I am as a pastor, and I'm going, what if you found a couple that were madly in love, that had an amazing marriage, and they did a conference on marriage. Now, isn't that weird? So I go and see this other one with this guy speaking. He's written all these books, and he basically tells me the same thing. And I'm like, where in the world are the guys that are like, I just love my wife, and she loves me, and we work things out, and it's awesome, and we grow. My wife and I have been married 28 years. In those years, by the way, we have learned so much about how horribly rank we are individually. And that's the beauty of it. It forces me to throw myself at God. Like before you get married, you see their strength and you see your weakness. And then you get married and you see their weakness and your strength. You're like, come on. You know? And somewhere down the line, God's like, hey, 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 slugger. You want to play that way with me? And you realize, oh, Lord, I am such a loser. And here I am running around punking like I'm some kind of thing and God's you know I'm like, all right Lord, I have so much to learn and it's such a great place to be. But I can tell you, the only time that I haven't spoken to my wife in more than a day is where she's unreachable. We've never but we don't know we don't even argue. And there's this divine forgetfulness, you know? It's like like was there anything we were going to argue about? No, probably I can't remember anyway. So I mean we just there's just nothing worth it. There's no hill to die on. Because of the things that are most important we're completely in line with, like fundamentally Jesus. So here we go. Paul says, I give to you that which I first received. You ready? 
I'm going to say it once, and I'll say it a couple times, and I'll ask you to repeat with me. Then we'll say it together, and then I'll ask you to do it yourself. Ready? Yeah, I know. See? This is, this is what we call in the teaching industry reinforcement. Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture. He was buried. That's an easy one. That's like Jesus wept. You just learned a verse. On the third day, he rose again according to the Scripture. And then he was seen by a lot of people. That's it. We do it again. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to Scripture. He was seen by a lot of people. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to Scripture. He was seen by a lot of people. I'll see it. Repeat after me. You're like, oh, we're being indoctrinated. Yeah, yeah, you are. Okay. That's what we call this. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to Scripture. He was seen by a lot of people. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to Scripture. He was seen by a lot of people. One more time, that same thing. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to Scripture. He was seen by a lot of people. See if you can say it with me. Ready? Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to Scripture. He was seen by a lot of people. One more time. Try it with me. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried. On the third day, he rose again according to Scripture. He was seen by a lot of people. Ready? What's number one? Okay. Number two? Number three? Number four? You now have the gospel. You have the one thing that saves the world for anyone who would believe. Here's the best part. Jesus is in, in John chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts, literally convinces. In other words, you don't even have to convince them. That's like convincing seed to grow. You can't convince seed to grow, but you can stop it from growing. Just keep it from the soil. People are like, well, if I share that, what if they don't respond right away? Yeah, you threw the seed into the ground and then you went, Grow! Give it some time. Let it germinate. Let it find its way into the soil and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Look at, do your part, give God space to do his. God's like, look at, I can just come down, shatter the sky and blow up everyone's eardrums and just speak it personally into their lives. But if that were the case, you don't get the joy of being part of someone's testimony. Because I want you to have that joy. I want you to be a part of that. So look at, I look at a person and I'm like, you're not too far gone. You may be weird and totally whatever, but I want you to know this. Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried and on the third day he rose again according to Scripture. And then he was seen by a whole lot of people and you should receive that gift. And they're like, well, who's Cain's wife? Why would you care? Jesus died for your sins according to Scripture. He was buried on the third day he rose again. And, and, and then he was seen by a lot of people. Do you want to receive that gift? What about the Pope? Huh, didn't see that anywhere. Uh, Jesus died for your sins. There's the point of it. Simple, pure, but that's level four, I want to remind you. So hear me on this. I want to challenge you to follow Jesus, but I want to challenge you, as you follow Jesus, this is what's going to happen. You're going to watch that people become the important thing. And as people become the important thing, they'll become the important thing to you. And as that happens, you find yourself interceding because observation will lead to intercession because you can't help do that if you watch Jesus work. But intercession can't help but lead to invitation because as you're praying for them, sooner or later you go mental if you don't see something happen. And the Lord goes, I'm stirring your heart for a reason. Now go invite them. And as that's the case, sooner or later you start to realize, you know what? I can't even wait for Sunday or, or the six studies we have. 
I just need to tell you right now. And you're sitting there, and the next thing you know, you're like, you know what? And you're like, oh, Jesus, I forgive Christ. Because you're like freaked out because you're like, oh, it's so simple. Look at the gospel is so simple, not just so that simple people could get saved, but also it's so simple so that simple people can use it. That's the point. So you're like, well, I don't have every answer. You have the answer. And it's okay to say you don't know because you're not running the universe. And if you're not running the universe, hey, the universe is expanding. According to who? What's on the other side of the universe? How does the universe get bigger if it starts at the outsides of its empty space? Oh, we discovered there's more empty space. Yeah, probably. You know, actually, I think it's infinite. Like, we don't run out of empty space. Well, what's the 65th star to the left? How in the world would I know? I didn't put it there. You want to know? Go ask the one who knows. Imagine if you sat with the doctor and he actually wanted to actually help you get well. And you're like, I have a question for you. I heard 2,000 years ago they tried to heal everyone with frogs. What about that, man? He's like, I don't know. I wasn't around then. Do I look that old? But I know how to get you well. Yeah, well, what about that weird doctor somewhere in India? difference does it make? I'm not here. I'm not here. We're not in India, and I'm not here trying to beat you with a snake. I'm here to offer you this. What, do you want to go well? But it's amazing. We're like, it's like Christian pepper spray to us. They're like, oh, yeah, well, what about this? We're like, oh, okay, forget it, forget it. I was just kidding. I'm not kidding. You need Jesus, and he can fix you. Well, what about, well, clearly they need Jesus too. What about that crazy Irish priest and when he did this to that kid or whatever? Hey, you know what? I don't know him, but if it happened, he needs Jesus too, and certainly that kid does too. Well, that guy misused. Clearly he does. Hey, if you're still looking to get married and you've seen a lot of bad marriages, clearly it didn't stop you. And I just want to say this as we go to prayer. I'm inviting you here with a new, fresh perspective. Well, it's, it's actually just refreshed. To follow with me, Jesus, if that makes sense. Follow me as I follow Christ. Because this is what I want us to do. I want us to grow in this. I want us to, to observe what God does as we get to go through Scripture. We're like, how cool is this? And then we watch him go, wow, this is, this, is how we, this is how he works. And I see this and I'm like, all right, Lord, inculcate this into my life now. And all of a sudden I'm like praying, oh, Lord, thank you for the time I got with this person and praying with this person. And Lord, I just... Man, I tell you, when you stay awake, it's amazing how many of people, including you, show up in my head and go, all right, Lord, I need to pray for them. And then you're like, all right, Lord, now use me. Use me to be an inviter. And then use me. The last one, by the way, is evangelism. That's simple. I go from observation to intercession to invitation to evangelism. Well, you'd say, well, isn't the third one evangelism? Well, you're invited into where evangelism is happening. Yes, you're still a part of the person's testimony. That's the beautiful part. But sooner or later, I genuinely believe every person here is going to have the opportunity to harvest, to pray with someone that you've been praying for. Because I know that's what the Lord wants to do in your life. Because that's what happens when you enter the school of Jesus' discipleship. All right. Last thing, let's pray. Have you said yes? Have you said yes to this gift of Jesus? We've walked through the gospel now. He died for your sins according to Scripture. Your sins. It means he paid for them all. And when he was buried, the guilt was buried with him. And when he rose again on that third day, just as the Scripture promised, he left him behind, as can you, when you say yes to him and you hand your life to him. When he was seen by a lot of people, he'll reveal himself to you right now if you let him. You could be one of those people. Would you pray with me? God, I want to thank you so much for this text. I want to thank you for this Sunday and how we've been able to look at your school of ministry, what discipleship looks like from your perspective. And I am so thankful that this is what we get to do. That we get to open up your scripture and expect you to speak to us. And man, you've spoken to me today. And so I just pray, Lord, that you keep it simple and clear to us. And now, Lord, I just pray for every one of us here. 
that we do more than just agree with you. We choose to follow you. And as we choose to follow you, I pray today that you'd lead us to observing you in Scripture, that we would read your Scripture to seek to know you better. And as we observe and as we are in fellowship and we see your power and authority manifested, change our hearts to make them about people. And lead us to intercession and just say, Lord, I don't understand what's going on with this person or, you know, I, I got some news or this person's ill or this situation's they're going through a rough time. So, Lord, I just want to lay them before you right now and, and I'm available. And this person, Lord, you know that things are rough or they're figuring it out, but God, I know you want to save them. Save them, please. That I can clearly lay before you and know that's your whole goal. Make me a better interceder. And give me the courage to be an inviter. Somebody that can say, you know what? You probably wouldn't go on your own, but you can come with me. And and at least that way, you have someone you know. Make us inviters, Lord. But Lord, as you continue to grow us, Never let us leave the simplicity of your gospel so that when that time comes where someone's sitting there and we recognize that these seconds are crucial, let your gospel be quick on our lips. And to trust, Lord, that you know how to bring about a harvest. But you've called us to go forth with the message. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, hey, look, if, if you're not sure if you've ever really accepted the gift of Jesus, maybe you've just been to church or maybe you kind of understand the culture, but there's still a choice to be made to accept that gift. And hey, if that's you, I don't, you know I don't have to convince you. The Holy Spirit's already done that. The issue is just whether you're willing to say yes. And if that's the case, then pray this prayer with me right now. God, I am a sinner because you died for sinners and I'm a sinner. And when Jesus died for my sins on that cross, just as your scripture promised, he died for my sins. He paid the price for all of my guilt and shame. So I don't have to. So why would I when you already have? And when he was buried, my guilty verdict was buried with him. Never to be lifted up again. And when he resurrected on the third day, just as you promised in Scripture, he shows me there's a new life once I leave that other one behind. And that's the choice I make right now. You gave me the dignity of choice and I say, yes, all right, Jesus, I want to follow you. And in following, I recognize you're going to reinvent me from the ground up because a lot of these sins have defined me up to this point. So... Bury all of that and raise up a new me where you're my Lord, Jesus. And with that now, continue to reveal yourself to me and then continue and then use me to reveal you to others. I hand my life to you now, Jesus, in your name. And if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say, Amen. God, you've heard our amens now. And I pray for every one of us, Lord, who have chosen to say yes to you, be it today or prior, that we would follow you. And as we follow you, may we observe you, give us a hunger for fellowship. And in that fellowship, Lord, may we observe you. May we love people, specifically, first and foremost, those of your own family, love your flock and in that Lord make us interceders put people's names and faces on our hearts and lead us Lord to pray for them and to be available and as we do make us inviters raise us up to do so 
But ultimately, we recognize this is so that you would make us become fishers of men where we ultimately would bring you to them. So, we recognize it's the process we're in. And whatever level we're at at this moment, may we actually not freak out about the fact that we're at whatever level, but let us be at some level. But we recognize you're going to want to lead us forward. And may we be willing to actually let you. Because if we're following you, you will lead us. So we just say yes, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Hey, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of being able to go through the word with you, to be such a wonderful group to come back to. Uh, just want to challenge you, don't forget, if you get the chance, fill out the names here if the Lord so leads you. And, and just, I'm going to put this out on pastortony at gmail.com. Tony is T-O-N-Y-E. So it's pastor, T-O-N-Y-E, at gmail.com. If you want, email me those ten names. Not because I'm checking your homework, because I will commit to praying for them too. That's the idea. And you understand what that means then is I'll ask. And when, when they say yes to Jesus and all that, we will celebrate together. That's the point. Okay. Now, go be, go be a blessing to each other.